Amen. You can be seated. I know that out there this morning, there's a lot of people that are really hurting over some things that are going on in their lives or other people's lives that have affected us or just break our hearts. And I just want to say I know that these words were penned by a man or a woman, somebody mortal like ourselves. But the words that are written are true. Jesus Christ can break those chains. We just have to we just have to stay true to him. We have to stay obedient. And that's a lot about what I want to talk about this morning because we're faced with so many things and so many challenges. We're faced with so many obstacles and so many struggles. And it seems like the deeper I go into ministry and the longer I'm in ministry, the more I, the more I talk about and teach and preach on struggles that we face because this world has plenty of them. There, I mean, we're not running short on struggles in this world. There's plenty around every corner. And it seems as though we slip deeper and deeper in time. It seems like struggles and problems and, and issues just keep arising more and more every day. Before we get through one, we're faced with another, or maybe two, or maybe three at the same time. But if we are staying true to what God wants us to do, because God, He will fix them. We just have to do the right thing. And I think there's a great example of that this morning in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. I asked you to turn there earlier. And the title of it that I, I placed on it is simply this, Because God. Because God. And I'm, I'm going to kind of give you just a little bit of background before we read the text. And the text is this. Last week, uh, we read chapter 1. We talked about chapter 1. Brian taught on chapter 1. Some great teachings in there. I'll get to in just a moment. But where we find Nehemiah now is that he's faced with asking for permission to go back to Jerusalem, and he's been waiting for an opportunity to do that. And he finally found his opportunity, he seized it. And what he did in chapter 2 was he asked for permission to go back. And there's a lot of issues there, there's a lot of things that he asked permission for. I want you to go back and read it, but I'm going to read from three verses this morning. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. So he was granted these things, and he left... And he went back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city, rebuild the walls specifically, first and foremost, to rebuild the walls. If he could get the walls rebuilt, then everything else would follow. The homes would be rebuilt. The economy would start to, to, to increase. People would start to populate the city again. They would feel safer. There were so many things that burdened Nehemiah's heart about going back to Jerusalem and help building these walls. The surrounding walls were the key to the city being safe, being provided for, and people would have started to flourish again. Businesses would have started to flourish. He knew this. But Nehemiah wasn't a politician. You would think that those are the things that a politician is supposed to do. Y'all like how I threw the word supposed to in there? That's, those are the things that politicians do. He wasn't a politician. He worked for the government, but he was just the cupbearer to the king. That was it. I say that was it. He, he had a very difficult job, and his life was always in danger, being the cupbearer to the king. If somebody was going to get to the king, they had to get to him first. If they were going to poison him or any of, of the king's staff, they had to get to. But that's kind of the background of where we are. And we'll see later in the chapter that Nehemiah does, in fact, go back to Jerusalem. And chapter 2 is where we see things start to happen in the book of Nehemiah. Now, in chapter 3 and on through the rest of the, of the book of Nehemiah, you're going to see some, 
some things that just happened, but the key is verses are chapters 1 and 2. You're going to see things flourish next week when Brian brings you the message next week. You're going to see things to start happen right before your eyes and before Nehemiah's eyes and the people that are going to astound you as to how good and faithful our God is to us. From the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. I want you to look at me, look with me in verse 8. And I want to read, first of all, what it says in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. Um, uh, verse 8. He says, There was a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the, and the king granted them to me. That's an important statement. I know we haven't read the text before, but I'm going to go back and, and look at it. But listen to this statement. And the king granted them to me because the hand of God was on me. Because the hand of God was on me. Look what it says in verse 18. He goes on to write, I told them how the hand of God had been favorable to me. The hand of God had been favorable to me. If you look down in verse 20, Nehemiah answers and says to the people, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. So the message this morning is because God and Nehemiah points to it three times in this first chapter in this second chapter. Three times it's all because of God. Now in chapter one, in chapter one, and may God add his blessings to the reading of his word, by the way, but in chapter one, as we learned last week, was a prayer by Nehemiah. He had just heard the news that the city was in ruins and he prayed. He prayed over the people, he prayed for himself, he prayed for the city walls to be rebuilt, he prayed for all of these things. And, and when we look in that first chapter, he had learned this, and when he began to cry out to God, as we learned last week, uh, we saw this, had Nehemiah not been concerned for the things of God, then he would, have never, he would have never committed himself to the people that God had called him to in the first place. And we learned that last week. So he had to be concerned for what God wanted him to be concerned about. He had to be committed to the people. He had to do the work for the people, but it was for God. But because he was concerned for the things of God, because he was committed to the people of Jerusalem, because of all these things, then he was able to fearfully and, fearfully and completely serve God. And those are the three things we learned last, last week. They stuck with me. Nehemiah fearfully and served God completely because he was so concerned for the people. Now, what we see in that prayer here, we move to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is the answer that Nehemiah received. And that's what we're going to look at today. Last week we looked at the prayer. Now we're going to see the miraculous answer that God gives him. And it's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. I, I, I preached, I don't know how many times in this church from the book of Nehemiah, I've preached two or three sermons from chapter 6, a couple of them from chapter 3. I just love the book of Nehemiah. So I have to be very careful that I don't repeat a lot of the things that I've already said, but I love the book of Nehemiah, but I want to look specifically at what Pastor Brian brought to us last week in the prayer. I want to look at how God answers it today. Now in chapter 2, we will see this beautiful answer to this prayer by Nehemiah in chapter 1. 
And the first thing that Nehemiah needed to do was Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to have faith in his waiting. Are, are you faithful in your waiting? Are you like me and you're real impatient in your waiting? How many of you are impatient with your waiting? Anybody? I see all the redheads are putting their, their hands up. There might be a pattern there. Could be. I don't know. Caitlin, you've got to join in. We've got to be a little impatient. But sometimes we just get impatient when we're waiting. When we're waiting on God, we shouldn't get impatient. We, what we're going to see in Nehemiah was Nehemiah was very patient. And you can say, well, how do you know this? Well, I want to, I want to point it out to you. You see there in the, in the first chapter, or in the first verse, it says, it came about in the month Nisan. Okay? The month Nisan. The month Nisan was equivalent to us about mid-March, maybe, maybe mid to late March to mid to late April was, was the month Nisan. Now, this is the time that we were in right now in chapter 2 where I'm picking this up from Brian last week. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Our verse, in, in verse 1, he says, It happened in the month Shizlev, or Kislev, if you will. Now, the month Kislev is late or mid to late December to mid to late January. So we have a difference here of four months. Four months is a long time to be a redhead and be impatient, Brother Ed. Four months is a long time. As a matter of fact, for this redhead, four minutes is a long time. And my wife doesn't say amen right now. She's missed the best opportunity that she has all day. She said, I'm not going to sit up front because you point me out. I would never do that. And here she is sitting in the back. And what did I do? I pointed her out. She would, she would say, hey, yes, he's, four minutes is too much for Troy. Listen, he had been waiting for four months. Now, during that four months, Nehemiah just wasn't going about his business thinking, okay, God will handle this. It's all going to be good. And I'm not, I don't have to do anything because God is God. No, he was broken, as we learned from Pastor Brian last week. He was broken over the things that he had heard from his brothers. He was broken and there was a genuine concern for God and God's people. And so we look at this and we see that there has to be faith in waiting. For four months, he did not bring his request to God. He did not complain to King Artaxerxes about this. He didn't go to the king and says, you know, this is your fault because you ruled the nation that took us into captivity. He didn't point the finger at him. He didn't, he didn't blame King Artaxerxes for his problems in those four months. No, what did he do? In chapter 1, it tells us that he fasted and prayed. Am I right, Brother Brian? It's what he preached on last week. He fasted and he prayed. For four months, Nehemiah was waiting patiently, waiting faithfully on God. So he was doing all of these things in four months, but he never once mentioned it to the king. And not only that, but he prayed for the forgiveness of himself and for the people, because you see, Nehemiah knew that there were plenty of prophets that had come along and said, and I'm paraphrasing all of those prophets, God says that if you don't straighten out your mess now, then you're going to be you're going to fall later and you'll be taken into captivity. They had plenty of warning from plenty of men of God, and they chose to ignore it, and they chose to go on the path of the pagans, and they chose to ignore God and to be disobedient to God. Even after all these warnings, Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah knew that it was his fault and the people's fault. It wasn't God's fault and it wasn't King Artaxerxes' fault. So he never mentioned it to King Artaxerxes. He only went to God because God was the only one that could fix it. King Artaxerxes wasn't going to fix it. He, he, he owed 
Nehemiah or the Jewish people nothing. They did this to themselves. They had to own up to their own mistakes, much like we have to do today. And boy, there's a lot of that not going on anymore, isn't there? Owning up to our own mistakes. Hebrews 6.12 says this, through, through faith and patience, those will inherit the promises. So in order to inherit the promises and the full thing, I just read part of it, so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So what he's saying is, is that if you do the righteous thing, if you do the godly thing, through your patience, you're going to inherit the promises of God. And this is what Nehemiah knew this. This was, this was written in the book of Hebrews. And thousands of years before Nehemiah even knew what was going to be written there. But he had already had that patience. The reason why the writer wrote this and God had him pen this was for folks like Nehemiah who had proven that their patience and diligence and obedience to God would allow them to inherit the promises of God. So if anything, Nehemiah inspired the writing here in Hebrews, not the other way around. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, he says, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation of stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Who are we talking about? Jesus Christ. He has laid that precious cornerstone so that he that believeth shall not make haste. Now, I read that from the King James Version because I like that version there. Other translations, some of them say, do not be disturbed or get off track. And, and exactly what this verse is saying is that we don't do things hastily, that we wait on God, that we don't get disturbed, so disturbed by the by the struggles that we're facing, that we go out ahead of God and do things without God's instruction and without God's knowledge. Because that, a lot of times that's what will happen. In those four minutes of my impatience, in the fifth minute I'm jumping God and I'm trying to get ahead of Him. And that's never good. That's never good. He, he, he sits here and, he, and even Isaiah says that if you believe in God, don't make haste. Don't do anything irrational. Wait on what God tells you to wait on. So this was important enough. Listen, it was so important that Paul repeated it twice in the book of Romans. If, if you go back, I think I put, the, did I put them on your notes there? Um, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 33, Romans 10, verse 11. If they're in your notes there, go back and read that. Paul repeated this Old Testament scripture from Nehemiah twice when he was teaching the people and writing the letter. And in 1 Peter, Peter even thought so much of this verse that he repeated it and the book of First Peter. Did I put that on the notes there? Anybody see? Okay. It, that was in First Peter 2.6. So this was important enough for our New Testament scholars to repeat. Say, hey man, there's, there's good things if you're faithful to God. There's good things when you wait on God because you're, you're going to inherit His promises. So they, we had to wait for those things. Waiting patiently on God will not disturb us. And it won't make us do things irrational when we wait patiently and obediently on God. It, it, if we do it by faith, if we wait in faith instead of haste, good things will come. Psalm 46.10 says, Cease from striving and know that I am God. In other words, as some translations put it, Be still and know that I am God. Just sit back a minute and just let God work. I preached a sermon one time, and I don't know if I preached it here. It's called, Slow Down So You Can Speed Up. That sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? You slow down if you're going to speed up. And it was all about listening and waiting on God's response. That's what that whole sermon was on. Just waiting 
on God's response. And sometimes if we just slow down in God, He'll allow us to accomplish, accomplish things so much quicker than when we do them in our own time and our own strength. So we have to, not only are we waiting on God, but we have to wait for the right moment. When God says move, then you can move, but you have to wait for that right moment. You ever been doing something and it just seemed like, boy, this is the right time to do it, and you did it and it worked out? You know what I'm talking about. That's how it works with God all the time. You just have to wait patiently. And then God, usually, and I'll, I'll tell you, some of you have come to me with some issues, and we might have an issue in the church or in your family, and I say, you know, God's got an uncanny way of just handling these things before we even throw our effort into it. So first thing you want to do is just pray about it, and let's see if God will fix it. We had an issue come up uh, not long ago that, that me and, and, and one of the other ministers here and one of the deacons, we prayed over this thing. We said, God, you're going to provide a solution. And before we had to intervene, God handled that situation. Now, I use that as a small example, but God does it all the time in this church. And he does it all the time of our life if we pay attention. And if we give him the time to work on these things and fix them, usually we don't have to intervene. God will already take care of it. God will cause circumstances to arise. And next thing you know... The situation has died down before we have to open our mouth and insert our foots. And I don't know about y'all, i got a size 14. It doesn't fit well in this mouth because I've got a little mouth. I'm not loud-spoken. I'm just, you know, I'm a quiet guy. So it's not going to fit in there very easily. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So God prepares ours and others' hearts for what he is going to do. And those four months, what God was doing is he was preparing the heart of King Artaxerxes, he was preparing the heart of Nehemiah, he was preparing the hearts of the people, he was even preparing the hearts of the enemies that were opposed to what Nehemiah was doing. In those four months, God was not being unproductive. God was preparing hearts, and that's what he does with us when we're patient. He prepares for us. He prepares people's hearts. He prepares situations. He prepares circumstances. He controls everything so that when the right moment comes, when that right moment arises, then we can just open the door and walk right through unscathed and unhurt. Because he, he handles it all. He prepares it. So for four months, this is what happens. The right moment came in verse 4. Look what it says in verse 4. In verse 4 he says, Then the king said to me, what would you request? Now, this was the king that was opposed to Jerusalem being rebuilt. He had already once passed out a command that no one should try to rebuild Jerusalem. And now, all of a sudden, his heart has changed enough to ask Nehemiah, what can be done about this? And four short months, and I don't know about you, but four months is, is, a, is a very short time to change the heart of a tyrant. Wouldn't you agree? And in four months, God did it. Why? Because of the faithful waiting and patiently praying Nehemiah. And in four months, God changed his heart. And now here's Nehemiah. You see, do you see, the, you see what God did here? Nehemiah didn't have to ask the question. Nehemiah came to him and asked him the question. How many times have you ever been afraid to ask the boss something? And then out of the blue, the, come, the boss will come and ask you about it. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. You're doing your little Jesus dance in your office. And, and sometimes that's what happens. Well, this happened so quickly for Nehemiah that the king asked him first. Man, that is just a blessing. We, because he waited patiently on God. So the right moment came in, in King 4. The king's heart was prepared to the point that he was uh, impressed Upon Nehemiah's look, he, his countenance had fell. He was distressed. He was, 
He was dejected, and the king could recognize it. So we, we must recognize the right moment just as Nehemiah did. Nehemiah saw that moment. Even a king's heart is steered by God. Did you know that? Look what it says in Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You know who cut the channels in the ocean? God did. Do you know who cut the channels of the Cooper River? God did. Do you know who cut the channels of the Wando River? God did all of that. It went exactly where God wanted it to go. Man, that's a twisty river, and that's exactly what God wanted to happen. And, and God just doesn't, just doesn't control our thoughts, but God can control the thoughts and the hearts of kings, and that's exactly what it says in Proverbs 21.1. God steers those channels in that direction. And, and, why, and why did he do this? He, he waited faithfully so that he could request faithfully, and that's my second point, to, faithful, to be faithful in requesting. Because, see, we have to ask at the right time. Not just of God, but of other people. We have to jump on the opportunity at the right time. We have to be faithful in our requesting, faithful in our asking, faithful to move forward after we've faithfully prayed about it. <clears throat> we have to act when the right moment arises. And I'm going to go back to verse 4. I left off part, uh, the first point in verse 4, and I'm going to pick up the second point in verse 4. <clears throat> And in verse 4, what does he say? We're going to repeat it. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a little frog in my throat. <clears throat> verse 4, the king said to me, what do you request? Now listen to what Nehemiah says. So I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. And in verse 5, he begins to speak again. He begins to speak. So he's, he's, he's waiting on God. He's waited on God. He's, God's prepared everything for this moment. So Nehemiah throws up what I used to call a flare prayer. Y'all heard of those, right? Just a flare prayer. Just throw it up real quick. An emergency prayer. You ever heard of those? <clears throat> Just in the moment. Now, now, had, now follow me on this. If, had Nehemiah stopped right that moment, at least if Nehemiah would have, and the king says, hey, you tell me what you want. Nehemiah had been waiting for this for four months. God had already prepared Nehemiah to give an answer. He had been thinking about this, praying about this, meditating over this. Nehemiah knew exactly what he needed to do when the right moment arrived. He'd already figured it out because God had showed him. So King Artaxerxes says, what can I do for you? And in that moment, in that moment, Nehemiah offers up the, a, a prayer. He says, I pray to the Lord of heaven. Now, he didn't close his eyes. He didn't take a step back. He didn't say, King, can I go pray on that? No, why? Because any, any certain amount of pause would have caused suspicion in the king's heart. So what does Nehemiah do? He throws up that little flare prayer. And you say, well, Pastor, why are you focusing on this little flare prayer, this little emergency prayer? It's a good point. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad it's going through your mind. Because if Nehemiah had not been praying and planning and fasting for four months, then that little flare prayer wasn't going to do any good at this point. You see, it had already been done. I believe, and, and you can say, well, it doesn't, doesn't say it happened that way. You can't prove it happened that way. Well, you can't prove it didn't. I believe that Nehemiah just quietly said, thank you, Lord, for doing what you've done. You've answered my prayer, and I just want to thank you. Well, King, it's like this. And I believe that's how that prayer went. I believe it was a prayer of thanks. Because he had done all of his fasting, his praying, his requesting of God. Why would he at this point, when the opportunity arose, why would he say, okay, God, this is what I need you to do? He'd already done that. So I think it was a little quiet, quick flare prayer of thanks to God. 
I mean, you're the man, because I've been praying about this for four months. I don't even have to open my mouth. The king is coming to me. Man, if that doesn't excite y'all, there's something wrong. I'm telling you, that excites me. The king came to him because he was faithful. So he offers this little emergency. Listen, when you're driving down the road and you have an emergency flat tire, if you don't have a tire iron, if you don't have a jack, and you don't have a spare, there ain't nothing you can do, is there? So what do you have to have? You have to be prepared. You have to be prepared for a flat tire before the flat tire happens. I remember one time when I went to downtown Charleston, and I was about eight years old, and we had to, it's back in the days of one car, and mom drove dad to work and went back in the afternoon and picked him up, and my dad had a flat tire, and he's out there, and he's hot, and he's sweating. It was maybe August, about the same time of year as it is now. You know, like the days are now, 150% humidity and 295 degrees outside. And he's changing this flat tire, and a guy comes up, they make eye contact, and he looked down at my dad, and he goes, oh, you a flat tire, huh? My dad says, no, I'm just practicing in case I ever do get one. That's, that's a true story. And I, my mom was like, Sam, you can't talk to people like that. He was 108 degrees out here, and I'm changing the tire, and he has the nerve to ask me if I have a flat tire. Now listen, my point is this. Had my dad not been prepared to, flat, to, to fix that flat tire, if he'd not prepared himself by equipping the car with a jack and a tire, how many of you have been riding down the road, had a flat, you looked in the back and say, oh yeah, that, that spare went flat months ago and I forgot to have it fixed. And there you are in the blazing sun or 18 degrees outside in the middle of the night and you've got no spare and you've got to call somebody. You wouldn't go into something unprepared. Why would Nehemiah go into this unprepared? Nehemiah wanted to prepare himself so that when the moment came, he could take out the tools that he needed and seize the opportunity that was provided to him. And that's exactly what he did. So there's faith in the requesting. He said a quick prayer. If he had had to wait, it would have caused suspicion in the king's heart. Hebrews 4, 6 says this, Therefore, let us draw near with the confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He didn't say that once you need God to draw near to the throne of grace. He said, let us do that beforehand. Let us draw close to the God of grace. Let us draw closer and have confidence in God so that in the end of the verse when we do need God, we're prayed up, we're meditated up enough with God, and we know the things that God wants us to do before they even happen. We have to be prepared. Nehemiah was prepared. He didn't take four months off to be unproductive. And the last, and not only do we... Do we have to uh, know when the right moment arises, but we have to actually make that request faithfully. Not only had Nehemiah been weeping and praying for the last four months, but he had also been working and praying. So he was weeping and praying, he was working and praying. More specifically, he was planning and praying is what he was doing. God had already shown him through prayer what the answer was. He had already told him, this is what, when the king tells you you can go, here's what I want you to do. Because you notice in the answer here, when you start reading, oh, about uh, when, when he asks him uh, in verse 4, if you go back and read verse 5, he said, I said to the king, if it pleased the king, if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then after that, in verses 7 on down, 6 on down, you're going to see him ask for more and more things. These weren't things that, 
that, that he says, you know what, give me a minute, let me think on it, king. No, he had already thought it through. So when you start to read verses 5 through, oh, around about 9, and you start seeing the request that Nehemiah was making, these weren't requests that just all of a sudden came to his head. These were carefully planned. Nehemiah knew exactly what he needed to do, and he passed it on to the king. And I encourage you to go back and read it. And it was all because of God. It was all because of God had planned it out and put this in Nehemiah's mind. He already knew. He already told him what he needed. Nehemiah even asked for more than he wanted. In verse 7, we see that he starts asking him, I need you to give me letters to the governors of the provinces because there's certain things that I'm going to need in order to be, rebuild the wall. And in order to rebuild the wall, they possessed some things. In one area was the timber that he needed in order to rebuild the gates of the wall. And I'm just giving you a small example. So King Artaxerxes wrote a, a, a letter to the king of that province or the governor of that province and said, give Nehemiah whatever he wants. You, he sees a tree that needs to be felled, you fell it. And where he's going to get it, this is for him. He was, as a Jew, he was given authority to tell the other governors what to do. Tell me that doesn't excite you what God's doing with Nehemiah. Tell me that's not an amazing God. I challenge somebody to tell me that. Listen, he said, not only am I going to let you go, but I'm going to write letters giving you authority over all my governors. You take whatever you want. So he did. I'll move on. I'm just too excited. i got more to say. The last thing with faith and requesting is because God. All this happened because of what's written in verse 8. And, and Nehemiah says it. He doesn't think it. He shares it with us. He said, and the king granted them to me because the good hand of God was on me. The good hand of God is on me. And you notice in what I put up here, I put the word because and God, and I highlighted it in bold. It's because God. God, God did this. Nehemiah fasted and prayed. Nehemiah did what he was supposed to do. Now we need to move on. Because then there's faith in the challenge. Don't forget, before we move on, that God can use you as a believer and He can use other believers. But I want you to remember this. When God is accomplishing what He wants to accomplish, He can also use unbelievers. Did you know that? And it would just as godly. Listen, King Artaxerxes didn't know God. He didn't care anything about God. But God used him to give Nehemiah what he needed. So God can use unbelievers just as quickly as He can use believers. And then the third thing is, is that Nehemiah rose to the challenge. He had to have faith to challenge. He had to have faith to challenge. Now, you said this, this seems a little out of place, but follow me on this. There was a challenge placed before him. Nehemiah had to challenge two people. He had to challenge himself, and he had to challenge others. This is a lot of work. This, this is the most difficult part of the work. This is where it really gets, because leaders have a difficult time getting other people to do some. Just ask your favorite Baptist preacher. He'll tell you. And if you don't believe your favorite Baptist preacher, go to another church and ask your second favorite Baptist preacher. It's hard to get people to motivated to do things for God. It's, it's hard. I'm not picking on anybody, but I asked for volunteers at 3.30 to help clean the church. I wonder how many people will show up. Now, that's not a ploy to get you to show up. But my point is, is this hard to get people to do God's work. And, and Nehemiah, he was no different. 
This was going to be a huge challenge for Nehemiah. He had to challenge himself first, because if he couldn't challenge himself, listen, if I can't challenge myself to be here at 6.30 on Sunday morning, listen, I get up for work every morning by 4.30 in the morning. Why should church be any different? And I get up in the morning, I disturb my wife every Sunday morning, just like I do Monday through Saturday, and I get up early and I come to church. Why? Because I need to spend time to pray and to study, to be prepared to be able to speak before God. And, and it's hard. I'm, I'm telling you, it's hard. Nehemiah knew that this was going to be difficult, but what did Nehemiah do? If you go back and you read the story all the way through verse 3, at night what he did was he went out and he inspected and he investigated the damage of the wall. And he had to do this at night for his own safety. Because we're introduced to three enemies now. One is named Sambala, one is named Tobiah, and one is named Geshem. He was an Arab. And they're going to cause problems later in the book, but they're introduced in chapter 2. So he had problems. He went out at night and he began to investigate. He had to work at it. He had to figure out, okay, what does it actually look like? It's told me what to do. I need to determine what needs to be done first, what needs to be done second, who can I recruit in this area, who can I recruit in that area. And Nehemiah went out and did the work. He had to push through the opposition because these three guys were starting to oppose him. He had to push through the opposition when God gave him an opportunity. Do not give up when God gives you the opportunity. This is the hardest part. Pastor, I've prayed about it. I've fasted about it. God's told me about it. I've had faith in making the request of other people. I've been granted everything that God said He'd give me. Now the work is hard and I want to give up. Do not give up. Do not give up. we got pastors all over this world pastoring churches that refuse to give up, but the work is hard. Nehemiah said, don't give up. Nehemiah was faced with the biggest challenge after praying and being faithful and asking the request of... He could have been killed asking the request from King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes could have had him taken away and beheaded or hung or whatever he wanted to because it would have been an act of treason. And he was faithful to look for that opportunity. And now he had it. This wasn't the time for Nehemiah to give up because three guys come along and challenge him. And you're saying, I faced with opposition all the time, Pastor. You just don't understand. I do understand. Trust me, I do understand. Don't give up. He had faced these three enemies on the way to Jerusalem. And as we will learn in the coming weeks, these three would become a hindrance to Nehemiah, but he never gives up as a result of their opposition. As again, their names are Sambala, Tobiah, and Geshem is introduced, I think, uh, a little bit later, maybe in verse 18 or so. But in verse 10, the first two were introduced. After he arrived to get the work, uh, to, to, to go to work, he was faced with that challenge. He had to go out at night and investigate, as I said. And we need to face that challenge of doing God's work. We're called to do God's work all day, all day, every day. And the second thing is not only did he challenge himself to get started and to get busy and to not quit, he had to challenge others. And this is where it got really difficult. Getting others to challenge is very difficult, but it's not when it's with God. When, if God is with you, it, it, it's not very challenging. Nehemiah was in this with the people, and this is how he identified with the people. I, I want you to look, and then, and then I'll close. Look at, look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6. It's your turn there, band, if you want to come forward. Look at, look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to listen what it says. When there was sin in the camp, Nehemiah owned up to it. In verse 6 he says, 
let your ear now be attentive and your eyes be open to the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the son of Israel, which we, which we have sinned against you. Do you notice the language there? He said we. He, he didn't say which your people. Nehemiah was identifying with his people. He said, when you sinned, I counted it to myself sin because we're all in this together. He was leading by example as we would put it today. In verse 7, listen to what he goes on to say in verse 7. And Brian brought this up last week. He says, we have acted very corruptly. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments or the statutes nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. We, he connected himself and he identified himself with his people. With the same people. That's how you motivate people. He identified with them. Now I want you to turn and, and I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 18. Just as he identified and took the responsibility of the sin against God, just as he had done that, he also included them in the work to be done. In, in chapter 2 verse 18, listen to what he says. Listen to his language. He says, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. They included themselves with Nehemiah. Nehemiah included himself with them. And they became a happy family. And the good news is that we're going to learn is that they rebuilt this wall in 52 days, which was unheard of against opposition, against all of these things. And they did a miraculous work. We're going to start to see that unfold when Brian brings us chapter 3 next week. They responded positively. They said, let's get to work. Let's do this. Let's do this. Listen, church, any church in this world starts to band together and work together, and instead of being unhappy about everything, I'm unhappy with this and I'm unhappy with that. If we... If we quit worrying about the things that don't matter to God and we focus on what God wants us to do, do you know how much we could accomplish? Any church in this world can be filled to the brim if the people would work together. Instead of hating everything. We spend more time telling people what we're opposed to and what we hate more than we do about the good things of God and what we think we're doing right. Nehemiah says, I don't want a part of that. I need to be a part of my people. The people need to be a part of me. And together, we're going to accomplish this. And that's what they did. And let's look at the cross connect together. I put it up on the board this week because I want us to look at Is it up there, Brian? That's fine. Let's look at your notes and let's, let's look at this. Jesus faced the challenge of going to the cross to pay our debt. Did he not? We all agree on that. He identified with us and He died for us so that we could freely live. It's about time we as God people, God's people live for Him and rise to the challenge of doing His work by strengthening our faith. That, that's all I'm challenging you to do today is to strengthen your faith when it comes to waiting on God, making your requests known, and then challenging yourself and others to do the work that God has called you to do.